The gospel reading is our sermon text for today, and I will be looking at the first part of John 1.14. And the word became flesh. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you have eternally spoken your word. We thank you that you have spoken your word now in these last days through your Son in our flesh. We pray as we consider this today that you would lead us to deeper devotion to you and to our Lord Jesus Christ, who came at this time as we celebrate this season to rescue us and to bring us to our Father. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. John's Gospel is about the good news of God, the Gospel of God. But first of all, it's about the God of the Gospel. What kind of God is it that makes himself known in the Gospel story that John records? John tells us that this is a God who is and has a Word. This Word is the creative Word who was in the beginning with God. John begins his gospel the same way the whole Bible begins, with a reference to the creative word of God that brought all things into existence. And he doesn't leave us with that hint of Genesis 1, but he goes on to tell us that this is the word, the word that he's talking about is the word by which all things were made. John tells us that this God speaks and that this God's speech is creative speech. But John also tells us that the God who speaks, who spoke the worlds into existence, did not begin speaking when he said, let there be light. That was not the first utterance of God. He didn't go from being a speechless God to a God who could speak. He didn't have a period of childhood or toddlerhood while he was learning language. This is not a God who was silent for ages after ages and then began to speak when he brought the world into existence. John tells us that the God of the gospel is not only the God who spoke all things into existence, but a God who eternally speaks, who has never not spoken his word. Verbalization Speech is not some secondary reality in God. It is as essential to God as God himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John tells us that the God of the Gospel is not only a God who has a Word, but a God who is toward his Word. In your Bibles, that preposition is probably translated as with. The Word was with God. But the image is not that the God and the Word are shoulder to shoulder, as it were, but rather that they are face to face. The God who speaks eternally speaks a Word who who is with Him, not only with Him, but toward Him. He and His Word are face to face. And I think we can expand this a little bit by thinking about the way the Hebrews and even our epistle reading today speaks of the Son. Jesus is the express image of His Father. When the Father looks at the Son, when He's face to face with the Son, He sees Himself perfectly represented in His Son. He speaks the Word who is His image, and He comes to know Himself as the Father by seeing Himself in this perfect image that is His eternal Son. The Father knows Himself in His Word. 
John tells us that the God who is the God of the gospel speaks creatively. He speaks eternally. He is face to face with his word who is also his image. And he tells us that this word that God speaks is God himself again. In the beginning was the word and the word was toward God and the word was God. When God speaks himself, he doesn't just talk about himself. His word is a perfect self-revelation of himself, so perfect that it is itself God. Everything you can say about God, you can say about his word. God is eternal, so is the word. God is holy and good, so is his word. God is almighty, his word is almighty. Everything you can say about God, you can say about the word, apart from the fact that that God is God and the word is the word. God is an eternally communicative, a necessarily communicative God who eternally speaks himself. Now we're dealing with mysteries here, of course. And this all sounds so exotic. How can a word that God speaks also be again God? How can God be face to face with his word in such a way that he comes to know or knows himself eternally rather through his word? That sounds so strange. But we're made in the image of this self-communicative God. And so we are reflective of that in some dim way. We're also made for communication, for communion with others. We also come to know ourselves by knowing others. You didn't know yourself fully until you were married and came face to face with another human being in the most intimate possible of relationships, and then you came to really know yourself. God knows himself in his word. You know yourself in the mirror of others. Our words don't become persons who talk back to us. That's unique to God. But our words do speak back to us. I can hear myself speaking. Whenever I speak, I can hear myself speaking. My words come back to me. We hear ourselves speak, and so our words are spoken also to us as the word of God is also is eternally spoken by the Father and spoken back to him. This is the God of the gospel, but so far, we don't really hear any good news. God is self-communicative. That's wonderful, amazing. This self-communication of God is himself God. A wonder, a marvel. This self-communication of God is toward God and eternally with God and the means by which God creates all things. But what if I can't hear that word? What if God and his word are in this face-to-face relationship, but I'm outside? How can I see the face of God? How can I come to know him? God can speak eternally, speak an eternal word that is himself, God, But if I can't hear it, if he doesn't speak it in a place and in a way that I can hear, then it's not doing me much good. And of course, our circumstances are worse than that. It's not just that God speaks eternally in heaven and we're not there. It's that we've closed our ears to his word. We worshiped deaf gods and we become deaf. We worshiped gods who don't see and we become blind. If God is going to speak himself to us, he's got to speak himself to us in a way that we can hear 
He can, he has to show himself to us in a way that we can see in a place where he's accessible to us. And so finally, in verse 14 of John's gospel, we not only learn about the God of the gospel, but we learn why the God of the gospel brings good news. The God who is eternally communicative, who eternally speaks. The God who eternally speaks himself in his word has become flesh. He's spoken to us in a way that we can understand and receive. He's spoken to us in our own nature. In the Bible, flesh sometimes refers to the physical body or a portion of the physical body. But more importantly, flesh refers to the whole of the human condition. Human beings are created flesh. To be flesh means that we're weak. To be flesh means that we're vulnerable. To be flesh means that we're dependent. You don't have life in yourself. Nothing of flesh has life in itself. That's why you breathe, taking in air from outside. That's why you eat and drink. If you stop doing those things, you're, you die. Flesh is utterly dependent. Flesh, flesh is vulnerable. Flesh can be wounded. After sin, flesh also becomes a way of speaking about the mortality of human beings. Adam sinned and death came into the world. And to be flesh means that we are mortal. To be flesh means that we're going to die. After Adam sinned, flesh also refers to the desires and instincts that we have to satisfy our flesh. Our flesh has desires and we seek to satisfy them rather than pleasing God. And our flesh becomes something of an enemy to ourselves. In the Bible, flesh even refers to the aggression and violence of the world. Before the flood, the Lord looks at the world as full of violence and he says, I'm going to wipe out all flesh from the world. The problem here is flesh. That's why the world is full of violence. To be flesh means that we're weak and vulnerable. But to be flesh also means that we're somehow aggressive and violent. How how are these two things How can we put these two dimensions of flesh together? I think in this way. To be flesh means that we're vulnerable, we're woundable, we're mortal. And we don't want to be wounded. We don't want to die. We live our lives, as Hebrews says, enslaved to the fear of death. And in order to protect ourselves from death, we're willing to take whatever steps are necessary to preserve this wispy, fleshly life of ours. We not only want to protect ourselves from death, we want to protect ourselves from all the thousand shocks that flesh is heir to. All the little deaths that we suffer. The death of our reputation. The death of pain. We don't want to be suffering those either, and so we violently and aggressively protect ourselves from those sorts of attacks. Instead of admitting fault, we scapegoat, turn blame onto somebody else. That's an act of the flesh. It's an act that comes out of weakness that expresses itself in violence and in aggression. Flesh comes to describe the entirety of the human condition. We're flesh because we're weak, fragile, vulnerable, woundable. We're flesh simply because we're created. After Adam's sin, we're flesh because we're mortal and selfish. 
after Adam's sin, we're, we're flesh because we are in, uh, enslaved to the fear of death. And so we do the works of the flesh. We are engaged in enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. That's where we are. But that's where God has spoken. When John says that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, he's not simply saying that the Word of God took on a human nature. That's true. He's not simply saying that the Word of God took a human body, although that true that is true also. When John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's talking about flesh in that expanded sense that the Bible uses the term. The Word became flesh means that the Word of God, the Word by which all things were made, the Word that is God Himself spoken, that Word took on our entire condition, our weakness, our frailty, our vulnerability, our mortality. He took on our flesh in the sense that Jesus Himself, the Word made flesh, was tempted by all the desires that we are tempted by. There's nothing that he took on of our nature, there's nothing of our nature that he did not take on. He assumed it all when he assumed flesh. And yet, as the Bible tells us, he, entire, he lived this entire, his entire life in the flesh, yet without sin. He lived his entire life in the flesh, in step with the Spirit. Well, this is good news. This is good news about the God of the gospel and about the gospel of God. It's good news because it means that the God who created a perfect good world doesn't recoil when that world goes badly. He doesn't think our flesh is too icky to touch. He doesn't stand off from our flesh, but he enters into it completely and fully. That's good news. But it's not just that God comes to dwell with us where we are, but God speaks where we are, and God speaks Himself where we are. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word who is God's eternal self-communication, who is God Himself again, speaks from within our condition and reveals God from within flesh. God speaks in a place and in a way that I can hear. And He speaks His creative Word from within the flesh, within our flesh, so that He can remake all things, so that the Word who made all things can recreate all things. It's easy to get this wrong as we read the gospel story. We read the gospel story and we see Jesus turning water into wine. We see Jesus healing a man who's been lame for 39 years. We see Jesus healing a man who was born blind. We see Jesus speaking to a corpse and the corpse takes on life and comes out of the tomb. And that looks like God at work. That looks like the creative, eternal power of God at work, the creative word speaking into our world. But that's not all that John is saying. Those, of course, are manifestations of the glory of God. 
God is showing his power in all of those circumstances and events. But John says, the word became flesh. And the word speaks through and in our flesh. Through and in our condition. God is still speaking himself. God is still speaking God when Jesus is hungry, when Jesus is tired, when Jesus is weak. John tells us that the great hour of Jesus' humiliation on the cross is also the hour of his glorification. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. When do we behold the glory of the word? When does that shine out? John tells us that the glory of the word shines out, not in these acts of power, but supremely on the cross. The word takes on our broken flesh and then breaks it again on a cross, becomes woundable, become not just woundable, but wounded with thorns, with lashes, with nails. He enters into our mortality, and that is the moment when flesh is most completely and utterly and manifestly weak and frail and broken. That's when and where God speaks his glory. God continues to communicate himself even on the cross. In the flesh of Jesus, we see the glory of the God who has never been seen. Creation is no obstacle to God's self-communication. Creation is no barrier to God showing himself, even a broken creation, the most broken possible creation, is no barrier. God is so utterly and completely himself. The word is so utterly and completely a revelation of God that even on on a Roman cross, as Jesus suffers death, an agonizing death, there too, The word of God speaks. That's good news. And it's good news because that word who speaks in the flesh of Jesus comes to dwell among us and in us. Jesus breathes out the spirit at the end of John's gospel. Receive the spirit. The spirit is poured out at Pentecost so that that word who is eternally spoken by God, who became flesh and is now exalted at the right hand of the father, that word can dwell in us and speak God in us. The word that spoke in the flesh of Jesus continues to speak in your flesh, continues to manifest his glory in the midst of your shame. He continues to manifest his power in the midst of your weakness. He shows his imperishable life in your perishable flesh. He speaks his triumph in all of your defeats, He speaks life in your death. In fact, Paul says his power is perfected in our weakness. Our weakness isn't an obstacle to God showing his power. God's power is shown even more so when we're weak. Don't think that your weakness keeps God from speaking himself through you. Don't think that you're too needy or vulnerable or powerless or sinful that you're going to be some kind of some kind of impenetrable an impenetrable barrier to the light of God. You can't stop him. 
The word became flesh and she shone his light among us. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. You can't stop his light from shining. Don't imagine that your brokenness somehow prevents God from speaking a let there be light through you and into your darkness. This is the good news, that God spoke himself in the flesh of a crucified man and that the word who dwells in that flesh dwells in your flesh and God speaks himself there. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is your eternal word who is toward you and who is himself God now come into our flesh to show you and to speak your glory among us. We thank you that that word by the Spirit dwells in and among us so that your glory is also seen through us. We pray that you would shine your glory and and your power in the midst of our weakness so that Jesus Christ would be exalted and glorified and so that we would receive the joy of this season, the joy of your coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.